Hey, my name is Adam, and this is the Five Questions Podcast. Make sure you subscribe in your podcast app or on YouTube or wherever you're watching or listening to this. Today, we've got a conversation with Alan Heisel, who is relatively new to our church, but he and his family have been with us for about two years now, and they jumped right into ministry and are really just a joy to know and serve with. Great family. Alan reached out to me after hearing an illustration I gave on restoring vision in a message, and I thought his story was really unique, and he has some great takeaways from it that you should hear. So here's my conversation with Alan Heisel. Well, hey, everybody. I'm here with Alan Heisel, and uh, we're here to talk about his life and his story and how God has been at work in it. First of all, Alan, I just want to say thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's uh, truly a, a pleasure and a wonderful opportunity to, to talk with you. So, Alan, just to give everybody a baseline for those that don't know you, how long have you been going to our church and, and what have you gotten involved with there? I've been going to First Free for about uh, two years, I think. Uh, and from the beginning, I had decided to make being a member of the church a priority. So my wife and I, after we concluded that this was going to be a good home for us, uh, we went through the membership classes and we got involved in various volunteer activities, which has been really wonderful. COVID has limited those opportunities a great deal, but uh, it has felt very much like a community, which is not something that we necessarily felt at our previous church. So very happy to be here. I'm really glad to hear that. I remember meeting you and your family for the first time. I think it was in Kid Connection, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in room 140. And tell us a little bit about your family. So uh, we have, my wife is named Leanne, and she uh, is a volunteer in the Kids Connection. She's been working there as soon as she was able to. There was the, the church has limitations, how long you have to be a member or how long you have to be there before you can uh, work in that area. So as soon as she was eligible, she she started working there. My daughter also uh, volunteered as a teenage helper. She is Alicia. She's 14 and goes to the um, Heritage Christian Classical Christian Academy over uh, on 141. My son is 18 and he uh, was admitted to OSU, Ohio State University, but he is taking classes locally because the we did we did pay for courses last semester, but the experience wasn't sufficient for the cost, so we ended up staying local. Uh, but he is a technically a junior, and uh, Joshua attends church at uh, First Street as well. He doesn't volunteer anywhere, although I keep trying to get him to do the uh, parking lot or ushering. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great, great opportunity right now. We can always use more volunteers in those ministries. And you have gotten plugged in at church very, very quickly, which is just so neat to see. We, we love it when people get into the church and get plugged in. Of course, there is that delay if you're in Kid Connection for the kids' safety to make sure we uh, get to know people a little bit first. But for most of our ministries and certainly for getting involved with ushers ministry and greeters and things like that, we can always use more people. And it's great to have people join the team after they get plugged into our church family. And, and I'm, I'm really thankful that you guys have been a part of our church family and, and have already been so involved here. We've had some good emails back and forth. And then recently, you sent me an email with uh, after a, a message that I gave. I talked about um, being able to see for the first time. And that struck a chord with you because of an experience 
in your past. And um, so I, I want to ask you about your past and kind of dig into that stuff a little bit. But first, just to give some context, and could we just find out what was your family like, life like growing up? What was your family like? And then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. So my father was born uh, and raised in uh, Jersey. My mother was born and raised in Philadelphia. She came from a uh, um, committed uh, Lutheran family. So she had a very strong, formal kind of religious upbringing. Uh, my father had came from a uh, broken home. He, he spent his youth in a home for wayward boys, uh, but it had a powerful impact on his life. Uh, so the two of them, uh, you know, as I was growing up as a child, you know, my mother was very much the, the driver of faith. My father was a little bit uh, less so. He had been a little bit more jaded, a little bit more scarred uh, from life. So, uh, you know, but he went to church. He, you know, he, he, he went through the motions, but my mother was the one that you could tell uh, was most touched spiritually. And, and she's the one who, um, you know, encouraged me in times where I perhaps had less confidence than one would hope. Sure. So early on in your childhood, you experienced a challenge that you emailed me about, and it was a story that really impacted me. Uh, it tied in so well with a message and a story and a video that I shared there about uh, being able to see for the first time. And you actually had an experience very, very similar to what we talked about that Sunday. So I wonder if you could share what was that challenge and um, how did that impact the way you grew as a person, as a young child? Sure. Uh, let me let me preface this by saying, uh, I, by telling the story, I don't mean to make my challenges any greater than any others. There are many people who have much greater challenges than I did. I am, uh, you know, I tell the story because it impacted me, uh, and if it impacts you and helps you in your faith journey, uh, then it's worth sharing. But please don't think that I am seeking sympathy or any kind of concern, I guess. Uh, the story is that I was born with terrible vision. Uh, you can't necessarily tell that because I'm wearing correction. I use contacts mostly because they help to reshape the form of my eye. My eye is kind of football shaped. So the semi-rigid gas permeables push my eyes down and help to correct the astigmatism. So when I was going back, growing up in the 70s, uh, this was not a time where we did a lot of preliminary examinations for kids growing up. So while I could not see, no one knew about it. And what makes my life and my story interesting, at least to myself, uh, is that I, the diagnosis didn't occur until I was five. So I started out my life, you know that children, infants start and they can't see clearly, but over time, their eyes develop and they begin to see. Well, that didn't happen for me. So I spent the first five years of my life living in a world of blurs. And I was a smart kid, so I learned to differentiate different types of blurs so I could tell a mom blur from a dad blur from a strange woman blur and I could accommodate but 
from an external perspective, this was not necessarily something that was understood by my parents. And I can remember vacations or going to the circus, for example, and I'm crawling around under the chair because I can't see the elephants in the room. Oh, wow. So when uh, I was in kindergarten, I guess it was uh, when they start trying to organize your uh, classroom behaviors, one of my teachers had noticed behavioral issues because if you think about it, if your world is five foot around you, it really changes your ability to interact with it. So if you imagine being a preschooler in a room and you're playing with blocks, another kid across the room sees the blocks and it's gonna take it from you or knock over your building or whatever it might be. So you see them coming, you can react to it. As a child, I couldn't see it until it was right there. So by the time something happened, it was too late for me to react. I was also not very um, cognizant of human nonverbal behaviors. So a teacher would frown at you at a kid in the classroom and then know to stop doing what they're doing. But if you can't see that, that communication isn't uh, delivered. So the uh, teacher in that classroom had observed my behavioral problems and asked if I'd ever had my eyes tested. And, and this and is what were what were some of the behavioral problems because you you couldn't see the kid coming over to knock over the blocks and because you couldn't see the frown were you acting out as a kid because of this or or did, what problems did that lead to? Well, you know, I was entertaining myself. So if you're in your own world, you're doing and playing with things that is a distraction to other people, but you don't know it's a distraction. So it wasn't that I was purposely being disruptive, but my behaviors were disruptive because I didn't realize that I was non-verbally being told to stop doing that. Uh, and of course, again, uh, if left to your own devices, you're going to entertain yourself. So I think- right. You, you know, you can imagine if you uh, have a very small world and you're not paying attention to anybody else, then you're getting out of your chair, wandering around, climbing under the chair, you know, uh, I was fine. So, so a teacher suggested mm -hmm. uh, that you get your eyes checked, which was a great thing for them to do, I guess, for, for them to at least recognize that, oh, maybe this is the cause of the problem here and, and what happened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not really sure. It must have been a teacher that I connected with in some way because she had to recognize it. Many times we see things and we sort of explain them away or rationalize them. She had a different uh, process. In any case, they did uh, bring this to my parents' attention. I remember the, the moment where my world, my visual world changed and, and my spiritual and life world changed as well. I was sitting in, or I wasn't sitting, I was bouncing around. I was a kid who was uh, hyperactive to offset the reduced uh, stimuli, perhaps, I don't know. Hmm. But I was taken to the optometrist. I was in the chair. I was climbing around and trying to inspect all the different things that were in the chair and around the chair. And the guy uh, pulled the scopes over my eyes, flipped a couple of things, and all of a sudden from across the room, about 15 or 20 feet away, I could see a cartoon of Bugs Bunny. 
and I froze. And my mom has told the story of the uh, horror and guilt, you know, that, that she felt when when this happened. Because you see, you know, you, you're always looking out for your kids. How could you have not known? And yet, you know, it is what it is. So I, I mean, it was literally a, a freezing moment because I suddenly understood that the way that I viewed the world, the way that I saw the world was not the same as everyone else. And what was it like seeing your parents like that? Because you said you could make out a mom blur and a dad blur. Was it different then being able to see them clearly? Did you have any kind of emotional response to that? Well, the closer up, you can get, see clarity. I mean, I could see them when they were very close to me, but being able to see them from across the room, it was, you know, it was less about when I think of the emotional response, it was more the uh, reality shifting that it isn't that you can only see people up this close in this particular way. It's that you can see them that way from far away. So, sure. I mean, I, I imagine it was, it was, I know it was, it had to be traumatizing uh, because your assumptions about the world that you live in have been challenged in a way that is impossible to ignore. I went back to my classroom with classes and all of a sudden I saw how people were responding to me. I was aware of the nonverbal behaviors. I was aware of the separation because the weird kid is not one you wanna hang out with. The troubling kid is not the one you wanna work with. It's not mean spirited, it's just, we are attracted to those who, who um, uh, get it, who, who answer the questions, who solve the problems, who can follow in directions. So it became, it, you know, it caused for me, I don't think it changed who I would be as a person, but it certainly changed the focus because I became very interested in trying to understand why people do what they do and uh, why they perceive what they perceive and uh, why I think the way that I think. Um, but it was a moment that changed both my relationship with people uh, and my relationship with reality. I think in that email that I sent you, I talked about Plato's allegory of the cave. Are you familiar with that one? Yes. Okay. From philosophy yeah. class. Right. So do you want to try it or shall I? Go for it. You are probably far more recently refreshed on it than I am, but the shadows on the wall. Yes. So Plato's allegory of the cave is the idea of if you take a person and you put them in a cave and you chain them to a wall from the moment of birth and all they see are uh, there's a light shining from up above and they can see the wall and the people passing and the sounds that they hear would be associated with the shadows because that's what they see. And when I realized that I couldn't see the way others did and that the world wasn't exactly the way I was, it was Plato's allegory that the person chained to the wall staring at the shadows would see reality as the shadows making the sounds. So you bring them out into the light, the light burns and it is a different 
reality. You, you come to understand that the shadows are just shadows. They're reflections of these other people. And so it was a moment that shook my faith in my own senses, my own sense of reality, because we assume that what we see is the same as everyone else. I had a friend in school who had a lazy eye and for years she thought that she had one normal eye and one super eye, that she had x-ray vision in the one because our natural tendency is to interpret our world as uh, in, in an egocentric kind of fashion. Uh, and she discovered like I did, no, wait, no, it's not that you have one super eye and one uh, normal, it's one normal eye and one terrible eye. Oh, <laughs> that's a bummer to learn for the first time, but at least in that reality shift, you're going from a false reality where maybe you're making some yes. decisions or behavioral choices that seem appropriate at the time, but are actually not and we just don't realize it to a reality where we see more clearly and we understand what's going on and we make better choices and, and interact with people in a better way. So you're a deep thinker, I know, and you've probably given some thought to this already. What can people learn from your experience? And what have you learned from it that you think could be passed on to other people to just as a helpful reminder in the, in the reality that we're in and the reality that we think we're in? Well, you know, one of the blessings of this experience was that it, it forced me to face a question that a lot of people don't necessarily directly embrace. And that is that idea of the difference between what we can see, hear, feel, taste, touch, and, and the things that we have to take by faith, the things that we have to take because we believe them to be. And when you have your full reality, uh, brought into question, or your senses rather, brought into question, then it really reinforces the idea that while your senses can deceive you, I have students, some of you know that I, I teach, I have students who will tell me, I don't believe anything I can't see, hear, taste, touch, or, or feel, smell. And, and you know, I, have you ever been tricked by an optical illusion? You know, uh, that's a simple one and that's so easy. We don't always get good information. We, people can deceive us, us. Our senses can deceive us. But the things that I have found that do not deceive are based in faith. Uh, it is God that has not deceived God. I can deceive myself. I can misinterpret. I can, I can twist things to make them fit into my own desires. But ultimately, you know, the message that I would hope for people to take away is that at some point it is faith. I was, uh, by random chance, I ran into a devotional that referenced Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was particularly apropos in this context, that ultimately, no matter what the question is, there's lots of things going on today that are um, concerning and worrying. At the end of the day, you have to have faith. Uh, you know, because yeah. you're not going to get the answer you want from people, from your senses. Um, yeah, well, and it's like what Paul said, right now we see dimly as if through a, a dirty pane of glass or a dirty mirror, but eventually we will see fully. And 
So we can't fully trust our senses right now. There's a lot of confusion in the world today, a lot of things that I don't understand, and, and I certainly wish I did, or I feel like I don't really know what's going on, I don't really know the truth, and so as I look at the world and the media and social media, it, it's almost like I think all of us are looking through um, blurry eyes and not really able to see clearly, and yet that one thing that we can hold to is our faith in God, and then the trust in Him that even though we can't see clearly, He can see clearly, and He's got it all under control, and if we can keep trusting in Him, we can be okay with some blurry vision in some other areas. It's a great lesson for us. It's a great thing for us to grow in. It's something I need to grow in. How else are you growing spiritually right now? What do you do to kind of cultivate your walk with God? Well, I usually, I I end my day with a devotional because usually I get sleepy and of course I pray uh, at night. In the morning or uh, early on at the start of my day, I've been reading through uh, the Old Testament again. I'm in Amos, so uh, excited about that. Uh, I try to use the devotionals to help me kind of set my, my sleep mode in a positive way, and, and also to start my day in a positive way. I try to read a chapter. Sometimes uh, I don't if it's something that uh, strikes me, you know, if there's a, if there's just a verse, then I might stop with that. Uh, but I do, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to set my mood in, in a way that's consistent with my, my favorite scriptural reference, Ephesians uh, 6, 11 through 13, armor of God. You mentioned I am a deep thinker. I do think a lot, but sometimes thinking can, can get you into trouble. Yes. Uh, it, you can overthink. Uh, you can go so far past the truth that you're in a realm of, of nothing. So uh, I am. Uh, that's one that goes through my head almost every morning, um, the peace of, peace of God and, and trust in God that when I start trying to figure things out too much, when I spend too much time following the what ifs that I stop and say, you know what, God's got this, you know, uh, and I don't need to know it. I just have to trust. Uh, and I have had enough situations in my life to prove that over and over and over again. So uh, it's just reminding yourself of that in the moment when you're in the storm. That's right. Oh, that is so good. That takeaway is gold right there to to prepare yourself for for your sleep by focusing on God's word so that that's the last thing you have before you go to bed and then to wake up and begin your day that way. Oh, that is so good. That is a brilliant takeaway for people watching this. Give us one more. What's one book that you would recommend to people to read? And we should probably just cross the Bible off the list of potentials. So that's a given. The Bible's a given. What's one book that you think people ought to uh, read? Well, because of my tendency to think about things, I would encourage people, and I apologize for taking a an easy one, but I would encourage folks to read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Um, this is one that I found to be very powerful when I was a teenager and first read it, uh, but it's one that I also go back to from time to time to remind myself, again, sometimes you can be working against yourself, and sometimes there are, are forces that are trying to discourage you to, to, to bring you down and to recognize that those things are not from God, uh, and that to focus on God when those things are happening, to focus on the promise of, of Christ 
because it's a downward spiral. And I do think that we are constantly being bombarded with spiritual attacks. I do. I agree. And to stay on theme, that book is one that I read as a teenager as well. And it opened my eyes. You know, it took me from having blurry vision to just having a little bit more clarity around the the possibility of what was going on around me and why certain things were happening. So I could not agree more with your recommendation. And with that, we'll, we'll call an end to this. So thank you, Alan. I really appreciate you being here, sharing about your life a little bit and how you've grown in your walk with God. And, and just thank you for making the time today. You're very welcome. Hey, before you go, I just want to circle back to what Alan shared at the end because that really struck me. Before he goes to bed, he does a devotional, reads the Bible, and prays. And that's not all that unusual, but it's why he does it that caught my attention. He said he does a devotional right before he goes to bed to set his sleep mode in a positive way. And that is brilliant because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I have trouble sleeping because my mind is racing from the issues of the day and problems in life. And having that devotional time right before bed can put your mind in a healthy place. That means your dreams will probably be better. Your sleep will probably be better, which means you will wake up more refreshed. And then he tries to start the day with another devotional or just reading a little scripture to put his mind in the right place for the day. That's a rhythm that if we can all get into, I guarantee it will impact our spiritual walk and our relationships with others. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.